Hi everyone, it's Sandy Cruz from Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. And I'm here to show you that balanced living works. This is especially for all you ladies over 40. We will cover a range of exciting topics with many special guests and I really look forward to this season. Bye for now. Hi everyone, welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. Today with me, I have Esther Blum. She is an integrative dietitian and she's written the book, See You Later, Ovulator, How to Get Through Menopause with Flying Colors, let's say. We talk all about women's hormones how to optimize your wellness through this time and after. What do we want? We all want to be vibrant. We all want to age well. We all want to live a healthy life, right? You got to listen to this episode. And I'm going to leave it there because I want you to listen to all of it. A couple of announcements. I am now a certified metabolic balance coach in addition to a registered holistic nutritionist, certified in functional lab testing for nutritionists. And so let's just say this is just another notch in my belt. And I am taking on a small group in January as an introductory group at an introductory price to be part of my metabolic balance group program. This special group will get a special price And you will also get coaching on therapeutic-grade supplements, on longevity, on biohacking, on all the things to optimize your wellness in perimenopause, menopause, and beyond. Now, why would you want to be part of this group? Well, the reason you would want to be part of this group is because you see, bottom line, your weight getting away from you. Your midsection is somehow getting bigger. Your triglycerides are going up. You're having issues with insulin resistance like glucose metabolism, all of these things. These are signs and symptoms. You know I'm big on signs and symptoms. These are signs that you need to gain control of your health. I personally have been in the program for three weeks. I feel that makes me a better coach and plus I needed it. I'm going to be 53 in January. I'm finally going through menopause, I think. You never know, though. That last period may show up. But the facts are I have put on a lot of weight in the last little bit. And I've noticed my midsection getting bigger. And the one factor that really made me want to do this is I saw my triglycerides go up. So this to me is a sign I need to reel myself in and really just eat whole real foods, which for the most part I did anyway, but figure out what foods I can eat to optimize my enzymes, my hormones, so that I have a healthy metabolism. If you want in, email me sandy at sandyknutrition.ca. Now, I will only have one more episode after this with Dr. Allison Snowden. This is going to be on December 19th. And then I'm going to take a two-week break. 
I will not have new episodes on December 26th or January 2nd. You guys are all going to be busy with your families, right? But you can still use that time to catch up on any podcasts that you missed. And then I will be back on January 9th with an incredible episode with Dr. Doug Lucas on osteoporosis. I am really big on helping any woman or man, because I am going to have actually, I'm going to have an episode on erectile dysfunction at midlife. That's coming too. So I kind of got you covered, both men and women, as we age from midlife and beyond to help you just age better. So what you can do for me is share this episode or any episode you might find useful for someone else, a friend, and also rate, review, and subscribe to my podcast. I think you can review it on a few platforms. I think you can do this on Spotify now, but all you have to do is uh, whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts, especially on Apple, search for Sandy K Nutrition and it'll come up right away. Scroll down a little bit and then it says, write a review, write a few kind words, provide me with a five-star review. And that means the world to me. Send me an email and let me know you've done this and maybe I'll have a little draw or something over the holidays. And now with that, I am going to cut on through to this amazing interview with Esther Blum. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have integrative dietitian and high performance coach, Esther Bloom. Esther is a four-time best-selling author whose new book, See you later, ovulator, mastering menopause with nutrition, hormones, and self-advocacy just actually hit the shelves in October. And in her new book, Esther draws from her 27 plus years in nutritional counseling to provide women the resources they need to manage their body's response to menopause and learn the exact treatment plan they need to say goodbye to the pesky symptoms, dial into their own personal needs, and start to feel like themselves again. And of course, this is one of my favorite discussions as I am going through menopause. So I am really happy to meet you and welcome you, Esther. Thank you, Sandy. I'm right there with you, sister. Are you? <laughs> okay, well, you know what? And and I'm actually feeling all right, you know? Like, actually, it's kind of funny because people talk about this whole mood thing. And I know we're going to get into all of this, but, you know, how did you get so focused on menopause? Well, I really have always answered the needs of my own clients. So, you know, I started treating menopause when I went into functional medicine about five years into my career. The more you know, the more you learn. So I really decided, you know, as just it just naturally evolved that way. More and more women started coming to me. I started going through perimenopause in my mid-40s. So you know, as always, I just keep cutting my teeth on more and more research. I can no longer say cutting my teeth, really. But, you know, I, I just keep diving into the research. And the more you learn, the more you attract those 
people going through the same thing. Yes. Yeah. I could see that. I agree with that wholly because you're, you're going through it yourself. So let's, you know, let's start with the basics because people get so confused and there's so many definitions out there. Are you in menopause? Are you in perimenopause? What's the difference really? The only difference is that uh, in menopause, you go 12 consecutive months without a period. That is the qualification you need to fully be in menopause. So let's say you're eight months in, you get a flash period out of nowhere. You just start the countdown clock all over again, which is, I know. But, uh, you know, also the symptoms, a great sign or symptom that you're going into perimenopause is often changes in sleep habits. So if you're finding you're waking up more, your sleep isn't as restful, you tend to wake up around three or four in the morning, wide-eyed and can't fall back asleep. That is a sure telltale sign. And also a lot of women, as their progesterone begins to decline, they get these super heavy periods, sometimes with clots, um, that really are more and more difficult to control. So those are two really big symptoms Um, But just a a lengthening in PMS, you know, most women say, oh, I usually get like a day or two where I'm irritable. But if you find you're getting irritable for more days and much earlier into, uh, you know, before the luteal phase, basically, uh, that's also a sign that you can be going through it. Okay. So I haven't had a period in four months and I've only had three periods this entire year and we're now recording in November. But you know, it's really weird. You're talking about moods. And I know that some women experience some heavy duty anger issues, right? So I don't have any of that. And I'm like, I said to my husband, I'm like, you know what? I I think I'm more pleasant now than when I was cycling. (laughs) And he's like, you know, because he hears, you know, the grumblings from other men. And so explain that. Why is that? I mean, you don't yeah, know my case. You don't know what I'm on. And I am on progesterone, which is pretty big, right? Yes. Right. You hit the nail on the head with the meno rage situation. So um, women in perimenopause, the best thing you can do, ladies, for not only your own symptoms, but for your marriage and to <laughs> enable your teenage kids to still live in the house <laughs> uh, is definitely bringing in progesterone earlier rather than later. Um, progesterone is a precursor to GABA, so it's a very calming neurotransmitter, but it also, uh, so it helps with sleep and it helps with moodiness. And it does this because it actually opposes estrogen. You know, when you're uh, premenopausal, when you're just an, uh, a normal, you know, reproductive age, Uh, you know, you'll notice the first half of your cycle is like your really happy time because your progesterone and estrogen are much more balanced and harmonious. And then during the premenstrual time when the, you know, progesterone takes a nosedive and estrogen surges, then, you know, a lot of moodiness entails from that and irritability and rage. And that's kind of what can happen in perimenopause and menopause too, less so in menopause, but perimenopause, you know, your estrogen can be surging up to 30% on any given day. They do fluctuate often, which is why a lot of doctors don't test for them. And they certainly aren't treating your hormones at that point. They'll often put women on a birth control pill to regulate the surges 
or an antidepressant to control the hot flashes, but they're not addressing the fact that this is not, I mean, if you're using it for birth control, great, but don't use it as a treatment for menopause because the birth control will suppress progesterone. That's why, that's how you suppress ovulation. So it's a real double whammy. And the synthetic progesterone in birth control does not hit up those gorgeous GABA receptors in your brain. So bringing in bioidentical progesterone is very beneficial. Mm-hmm. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, crap, I'm on an IUD and I don't want to come off because then I'm going to bleed all over the place and my periods will be crazy. I do have clients. And again, I do a lot of testing. I work with doctors. I'm not a doctor, but uh, I work with doctors and we bring in, you know, I'll run the Dutch test mm-hmm. on my clients and the GI map to, to make sure your hormones are being detoxed properly. But then, you know, assuming someone's a good candidate, the doctor, I give these tests to the doctor and she can say, oh, you know what, let me prescribe some bioidentical progesterone. And not all women go off IUDs until they're fully done with menopause, but you can certainly still start bringing in bioidenticals. Mm, yeah, see, I've been on bioidentical progesterone, I think since I was about 48. Now, there's a difference between the creams, the capsules, like I had to kind of titrate up slowly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, like, absolutely. Okay. So, Creams are great when you're a menstruating, a regularly menstruating female. They're they're pretty low dose. Um, you know, you don't necessarily need to give a menstruating woman oral progesterone. That may actually be too much or more than she needs. But in perimenopause, when your levels start to decline, then an oral form is much more beneficial. So you can either get it in a bioidentical form as Prometrium, which you can get covered by insurance. It's a prescription. Um, it is bioidentical progesterone. The downsides or the less effective sides are that when you take Prometrium, it still has to be processed through your gut and your liver. Mm. So it's slower to, um, you know, take up. This is a good solution for women who aren't necessarily having sleep issues, but are definitely having heavy bleeding issues um, and really miserable periods. If you tend to be someone who is struggling with difficult periods and sleep issues, then you want to receive progesterone in a trochee form. This is a dissolvable lozenge that dissolves, uh, you know, between the, the gums and the cheek. And what it does is it makes it really easy to cross through the blood brain barrier. It doesn't have to go through the gut or the liver, and it really just hits up those GABA receptors really quickly. So you fall asleep, you stay asleep. It's great. Now, I heard something, correct me if I'm wrong, does actual estrogen, does it also have an impact on your sleep? Does it make your sleep shorter? Well, um, progesterone optimizing your hormone balance and optimizing your bioidentical hormones, your hormone replenishment uh, does work much more in in a much more beneficial way when you do need to bring estrogen into the picture to bring it in because progesterone does help you fall asleep, but estrogen really helps you stay asleep. Right. And think about this in nature, right? You don't typically have hormones in isolation. They're all a big 
partnership, but they work as a team, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, DHEA, pregnenolone, you know, there's a whole uh, nice foundation of hormones that work together. So you may not need to give estrogen in perimenopause because your body's still producing it. Um, but once you hit menopause, your ovarian reserves are pretty tapped out and your levels drop, your adrenals pick up the slack and are kind of taking over your hormone production of those hormones. And that's a great idea. You know, <clears throat> rarely do uh, does a woman need only progesterone at that point. She's going to often need a combination of testosterone, DHEA, progesterone, and estrogen. Okay. So, you know, for women who are still technically not in that, you know, full one year past, no period, there's, it's, you're like kind of in limbo and you'll get so many different, not so many, I guess two trains of thoughts. You'll get one that will say, absolutely not. You should not start any kind of estrogen until 12 months later. And then others will say, as soon as you start to get symptoms, you can start. So what do you think about that? So my whole motto in my practice is to test and don't guess. Mm -hmm. Because in either scenario, you may not know what's going on unless you look under the hood. So I run the Dutch and the GI map. The Dutch test is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. And this tells me your production of hormones, what they're looking like. It tells me how you're detoxing hormones in your liver. It looks at your cortisol curve to also address, you know, some of the underlying sleep issues you may be having or uh, weight gain issues you may be having, energy, all of those. Uh, and I also look at the neurotransmitters in the brain. I do a Dutch complete. Um, and that also can give me a window into your melatonin production or nutrient deficiencies. So... I look at the whole picture because, um, again, I, treating when you have symptoms can be good, but if your detox pathways are poor or you just don't need to bring in estrogen yet, then you can actually wind up feeling worse if you bring hormones in. And I do hear this from women all the time. They're like, oh my God, I felt like I was going crazy. You mm -hmm. know, my doctor put me on hormones, felt like I was going crazy. Or, um, you know, it, it made me so jittery. It made me rage, you know. So yes. if your liver is not happy and you throw hormones in on top, even if they're bioidentical, it can be problematic. And the same goes for the GI map. This is a stool test I use to look at the microbiome of the gut and also see, are you eliminating estrogen in the gut or are you continually reabsorbing it? And so I see a lot of women reabsorbing it uh, who are constipated, not moving their bowels daily. Um, but also, you know, I see this with a lot of inflammation in the gut. So you want to kind of have a system. This is my system of checks and balances to see whether or not you're even a candidate so that when you go on it, you do feel well and <clears throat> your, your detox pathways are supported. And what nutrients do you need to take to make sure that your hormones are going to really be in tip-top shape. Yes, I absolutely love the Dutch test. I've been doing it since I'm going to be 53 in January. I've been doing it since 45, maybe. 
because I tend to metabolize estrogens down that naughty pathway and my methylation was really slow. And these are all factors. So why do, if you go to a general physician, they will often, at least in Canada, and I know the US probably too, they'll just run blood work and base it on that. And why is that not ideal? Because I mean, I love the Dutch test. It tells you so much more. But why would that be that general physicians won't use it? Well, general physicians are not trained in menopause care, at least not in the U.S. There's nothing taught in medical school on how to treat a woman through menopause. Um, so, But the, the difference between the two is that um, a blood test is a snapshot. Yeah. Tells you what's going on at 8.30 in the morning when you got it taken. The Dutch test is like time-lapse photography. It's You take four to five samples. I say four to five because that fifth is an overnight sample. So if you don't wake up to pee, you don't take it. But you take a minimum of four samples between 5 p.m. and uh, you know around 8 a.m. on average. And so that gives me a much more complete picture on how your hormones are metabolized, what your cortisol curve looks like, and what your methylation pathways look like. And a blood test does not show methylation pathways. You can uh, test your cortisol in the blood. You can test your hormones, but it's only going to give you a snapshot. Right, right. It's There's a big difference for sure. So what are your thoughts on the whole estrogen and cancer? Because I actually was in a conversation last night and one of my girlfriends said, well, doesn't estrogen cause cancer? And it's just such a big, I'm going to say it was like this huge scare. Where did that come from? The 70s or 80s? I think it was Primarin, though. Wasn't it Primarin, the, the yep. progestin? Yeah, well, yes. And it was, first of all, the study design was so poor. That, that study deprived at least two generations of women from getting yes. the hormone replacement they needed, which is such a shame. Yeah. And so... Um, the study design took women who were 10 years postmenopausal and gave them Premarin, which is derived from the urine of pregnant horses, not exactly physiological, physiologically compatible with a woman's body. Hello. Yeah. And then concluded after that, oh, yes, hormones cause cancer, heart attacks, increased stroke risk, um, and so what's happened since then is the North American Menopause Society in both 2018 and 2022 updated the position paper statement saying, you know, hormones are safe, they are effective, they are preventive and beneficial in the fight against Alzheimer's disease, osteoporosis, and heart disease. Um, there is little to no correlation with stroke. Not only that, but vaginal use of hormones like vaginal estrogen or DHEA, which help offset vaginal dryness and atrophy, yeah. um, is safe to use even in women who have had cancer. And again, obviously talk to your, guy, your um, oncologist. I'm not a doctor. So just big fat disclaimer here, people. But yeah. the research shows that the hormones do stay localized in the vaginal canal and that there is no change in the blood value levels of estrogen in women who use vaginal estrogen and women who don't. 
So, um, you know, a lot of doctors are wising up to the current research, but a lot have not and still have very outdated pamphlets in their offices. Or worse yet is the label warnings you get from the pharmacy, which is this long, you know, when you go to take hormones um, that, you know, there's cancer risk and, yes. and it's like, oy, oy, oy. so they really botched that one up pretty good for women. Yeah, they certainly have. And I, I, I can't believe that that whole study still lives on all yeah. this time. And you've got women who are, you know, my age and just either just having gone through menopause or going through it, who are afraid. And, yes. you know, fear you listen, when you're 50 something year old woman, most of us know somebody who's had breast cancer. Yes. Most of us. But here's the flip side, Sandy, is that, you know, about 10% of the women I see in my practice um, are either still on estrogen blockers for cancer yeah. or were treated for breast cancer or uterine or, you know, had um, prophylactic hysterectomies and or mastectomies. Their doctors, what I'm noticing, are saying it's really safe to still take hormones in spite of that. And that, to me, is the most encouraging, is when you see oncologists saying, or even like um, functional GYNs saying, here's your risk to benefit ratio. You, by not taking hormones, you are seriously risking dementia, uh, bone loss, and heart disease. So you decide, and they put it in the patient's hands of you get to decide if this, you know, quality of life issue is going to be there. The the other real uh, benefit to hormones are, of course, the mental health benefits, because without, you know, uh, estrogen and progesterone, you really get depressed and anxious. And so, you know, the women I treat who are on these estrogen blockers really feel terrible brain fog, also uh, due to hormone deficiency and really feel depressed and struggle and struggle to sleep. Um, and so all of those are important factors to weigh if you're getting treated. And what do you think? So if, if you are a woman that is concerned or worried, or what about if they carry, you know, the BRCA gene or something like that, wouldn't the Dutch test be a really, really good option to show them how they're metabolizing all of those estrogens, right? Like, just like what you said, at least because if you just do blood work, it's not going to tell you how you're metabolizing the estrogens, right? That's what's crazy, Sandy, is I'm literally having a deja vu moment where like I dreamed this like this conversation a couple days ago. So this oh, is cool. so right now. That is cool. So cool. Uh, so, yes, that is absolutely very, very effective. Um, also having a properly function functioning liver and gut, which you're you know, you can see that um, from the tests. And, you know, uh, the cancer experts who I have heard speak tell us in conferences that we all have the genes for cancer and it's whether or not they get expressed. And we, you know, um, genetics are the gun and environment pulls the trigger. So you want to think about what you can do, which is, you know, eating 
a really nutrient-dense diet, rich in cruciferous vegetables and fiber to help um, move those hormones through. Uh, certainly eating lots of red foods, red, back, red foods like pomegranate seeds and cherries and the skins of red apples um, and raspberries and strawberries. Those all feed acromancia, which is a really important bacteria in our guts. Um, getting a lot of variety in our diets also gives the gut bacteria really healthy fuel. Now you may be thinking, well, what does gut bacteria have to do with hormones? Um, the, there is a subset of our microbiome called the estrobolome, which is a subset of bacteria that help metabolize estrogen in the gut. So happy, healthy gut, less menopause symptoms because you're making sure your hormones are mobilized. Um, and really supporting good liver function. All of those are wonderful ways to help prevent and offset cancer risk. Yeah, I I don't know what you think about, because anytime I say to somebody, you got to eat a lot of broccoli, eat a lot of cooked cruciferous vegetables, right? Yeah. Um, what do you think of sulforaphane as a very yeah. safe, uh, yes. I I personally feel it's a really safe supplement just to kind of push those pathways in a healthier direction because yeah. I have to take it and I've had to take I have an aunt two aunts who have died of uterine cancer so I'm very careful with that whole pathway. Yes, most women I treat, you know, I really do like them on some type of cruciferous concentrate. Um, because it really is, and a, and a good beet complex and some glutathione. That is a wonderful combination to help support uh, methylation in the liver and help your body metabolize the hormones. And maybe just explain what methylation is and why it's so important. Yeah, it's a fancy word for detoxification. So <laughs> In your liver, you have two phases of detoxification, phase one and two. And basically, in layman's terms, this means you're taking fat-soluble toxins or hormones and converting them to water-soluble toxins where they can be excreted. Um, and so hormones are not toxins in and of themselves. But if you are not processing them well and your ratios are off, and you're pro and there are many different types of estrogens. We have the 2-OH, the 4-OH, the 16-OH. And if your 4-OH is too high um, and your 16-OH, that can be problematic if your ratios of 4-OH are high. And this can happen even in postmenopause. I see it on the Dutch. You can still be relatively estrogen dominant. It does put you at a greater risk for hormone-related cancers. So you do want that those pathways to be supportive. And fortunately, it's like so simple to support your methylation, right? Um, again, really nutrient-dense foods, lots of cruciferous veggies, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, radishes. Uh, I love artichokes and kale. Um, really watching out your for your alcohol intake, mm. especially if you're on hormones. So this is something people don't realize is for every cocktail you have, and please, people, don't hate the playa, hate the game, because <laughs> I love cocktails, too, as much as the next person, but knowledge is power. So for every drink you have, your circulating estrogen levels stay elevated for four to six hours after each cocktail. 
So think about that. That means you could be in an estrogen dominant state for 25% of every day that you're having a cocktail. Wow. If your liver has to metabolize booze or hormones, it's going to choose booze first because that is a toxin. So your hormones are just sitting on hold like, hello, is someone, it's, it's like <laughs> the boat is tied to the, to the uh, dock and no one's letting it float downstream. Like your hormones are supposed to move downstream. So, you know, you really want to think about your booze intake. Also remember that, you know, 30% of women postmenopausally develop a non-alcoholic fatty liver. So, and I see it on lab tests, even blood tests, I see dysfunctional liver enzymes or elevated liver enzymes. So um, you want to make sure that you're, you know, being judicious with your booze. I'm not saying never, I'm saying just like really use it cautiously. Uh, as I mentioned plant-based diet, stress management, right? Your liver really heats up. In Eastern medicine, your liver gets hot. When you've been to an acupuncture, if you've been to an acupuncturist, they're like, oh man, your liver's hot. That has to do with where you're processing your anger, your stress, your trauma, things that are unresolved. So make sure you're processing that. You go to therapy or you heal your traumas or you journal or you meditate or you connect with your family and your friends and you get outside in nature. You know, you really do need life balance, A, for quality of life, but B, you know, walking outside nature lowers cortisol. Like that's better than any drug or supplement. <laughs> there there are no drugs really that do dramatically lower cortisol. Otherwise we'd all be on it. And, you know, people don't mind popping supplements or pills to lower cortisol, but what if the antidote was just nature? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, it's free. Oh. It's easy. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I, you know, that, that is, even when you, you know, I say to, to clients and to other women, I'm like, if you feel stuck, you know, sometimes in our lives, in this point in our life, we feel stuck. It's like, where do we go? What do I do? Go for a walk in nature. It's free. Just do it, right? It's free. And it frees up your creative process. If you're if you're stuck uh, trying to solve a problem and can't seem to find a solution, go for a walk for 10 minutes. You'll yeah. come up with it. Yeah. So how come you'll see some women whose periods will get closer and closer together and maybe even heavier whereas others it just kind of dwindles away like it just never even was there. <laughs> like why is that yeah you know I don't know the exact answer to that I mean obviously option a with the the heavier and heavier periods is really progesterone unwinding and and leaving the party um the closer together, again, I'm guessing that is a, fluctu a wild fluctuation in your estrogen levels while your progesterone is simultaneously decreasing. But I, I could probably use a little more research on that myself, I'll be honest. Yeah. And then, well, I guess also test, right? Do the Dutch test. Yeah, do the Dutch test. <laughs> it kind yeah, of all goes exactly. back to that test, don't guess. Um, yeah, here's could be right. Also, like if your liver's not metabolizing or your gut's not metabolizing hormones, that could be it too. Tell me if you've heard this because you, you mentioned alcohol and I think that's a really important point. I have heard, tell me if you've heard this, that alcohol is like s smoking for midlife. It's like the new smoking mm. for midlife women. 
I hope you're all enjoying this week's episode as much as I love bringing it to you every single week. If you've been following me for a while, you all know I'm a huge fan of supplementing with amino acids. Now, what are amino acids? Simply put, they are the building blocks to protein. Now you might say, oh, I eat plenty of protein. But are you aware of how well you're actually digesting and assimilating that protein so it properly breaks down into those all-important amino acids? As a functional nutritionist, I see a lot of people who start to experience low stomach acid. And guess what we all need to break down those proteins efficiently? Right. We need stomach acid. We also experience a natural decline in muscle mass as we age. That can be due to many factors, including declining hormones. We actually need those important amino acids for many other functions in the body, including our cardiovascular health. I've been supplementing with Amino Co Life. This specific blend of amino acids are so important to maintain muscle mass, maintain heart health, and increase our longevity as we age. And you know that that's really important to me. And it's never just about lifespan. It's also about health span. Because I don't know about you, but I want to age really well. So here's what I have for all of my listeners. I have an exclusive discount of 30% off to try AminoCo's life for yourself. So all you have to do is go to aminoco.com forward slash S-K-N as in Sandy K Nutrition and you will get 30% off. And I will have this info in my show notes. And now back to the show. Like, what do you think of that statement? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to beat up your liver pretty well. You know, midlife, we lose the ability to handle caffeine so well. Yeah. We lose the ability to handle um, alcohol. It's just really a great time to rethink your habits and think about how to manage your stress. Because the reality is booze for most people is an escape. It's a way to numb yourself and handle your stress. But guess what? You can also add some really calming tinctures, some lemon balm or ashwagandha to to a glass of water. I don't care if you put it in a wine glass, just have your nightly cup of calm or you can steep three bags of sleepy thyme tea. That's like a natural Xanax, people. It is like good night on that. Good luck staying stressed and awake on that stuff. So, um, you know, it's, yeah, the body is, Really, it's Mother Nature's way of saying, say no more often, like make a to don't list. Yeah. Take things off the plate and say no, set boundaries. Okay. I hear this all the time as well. Women will go, oh, well, my periods are just so heavy. I'm just going to go out and get dim. You know, you can get it at a health food store. So there's dim, there's indole, three carbonyl, there's sulforaphane. What's the difference between the three of them? Yeah. Well, DIM is something, you know, at times I've used it in menopausal women, but it's a more aggressive detox for estrogen. And for a woman who's postmenopausal, whose levels are already really low, putting her on DIM can send her into hot flashes. 
which you do not want to do. You do not want to exacerbate, whereas, you know, a cruciferous complex, a, an indole-3 carbonyl, um, those are going to be much more gentler and just gently facilitate that phase one, phase two detox of estrogen, but not necessarily directly binding it and pulling it out more aggressively like DIM or calcium deglucurate, you know? So the joke, one of my mentors, um, Dr. Carrie Jones, she's like, you oh, cannot, she's awesome. She's like, you cannot Oprah DIM. Like you get a DIM and you get a DIM. <laughs> like you, you really have to test and not just prescribe it openly based on symptoms. It doesn't work that way. You've got to really be judicious and respectful of its potency and its power. It is powerful because yeah. I remember this is before I had gone back to college um, and I went to see a naturopath doctor and he gave me dim and I didn't even know what it was at that time. I'm like, okay. And I was like, what the hell's going on with me? Like I had all kinds of symptoms like dryness. I'm like, and then I did a Dutch test, of course. Like my estrogens were gone. Like they were so low. Wow. 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 Right. So yeah, 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 I totally see what you're saying. Now, going back, you mentioned hot flashes, hot flashes. Okay. This one's one of my fun. I love this topic because I have kind of been in and out of the hot flashes. And a while ago, I was at the biohacking Congress in Miami and my husband and I went a little earlier. We had a few drinks by the pool. I was a hot mess, Esther. Okay. Literally. <laughs> Literally a Literally. hot mess. So I equate, personally, I equate, and I'm like, well, I usually don't get hot flashes like this. I might be kind of running hot, but full hot flashes, no. So I equate it to inflammation. And yeah. then, but... You know, I, I'm going to want your take on this. So anyway, yeah. since then, I have actually needed to lose some weight. And they've kind of gone down. Like I barely have any hot flashes anymore. So there's a lot of things going on with hot flashes. It's not just, oh, you're in menopause, so you're definitely going to get them. Like, what are your thoughts on all that? Correct. Correct. Like, knock wood, I, I have not had a single hot flash. I'm you're, I'm 52 as well. Um, and so yes, hot flashes can be triggered by, um, booze and caffeine can definitely trigger for some women. It's temperature like blow drying their air can hit, trigger a hot flash, but also, um, low blood sugar, either spikes in your glucose and insulin, and then a bottoming out can often, uh, you know, when your blood sugars drop, your cortisol spikes up. So there is a neurological response there too, with a hot flash. And then also, you know, stress management, if you think about what really helps our bodies regulate blood sugar, aside from a protein-rich diet uh, and fiber-rich diet, is our the functionality of our adrenals, right? And so if we're under a lot of stress and our adrenals are kind of cooked and your cortisol is very low uh, and your blood sugar is kind of following suit, that can also trigger hot flashes too. So Make yourself more resilient, <clears throat> really being mindful of your stress. And often like sugar, booze, alcohol, those are really going to be the three big triggers diet-wise for a hot flash. And then, of course, you want to make sure, you know, you're sleeping in a cool room, lowering the temperature, 
um, at night, having a fan blowing on you, you know, in the winter we keep our, our heat drops to 63 and everyone's <gasps> really comfortable and happy. And I like, I wear like shorts and a tank top and sleep <laughs> under a down blanket, a down comforter. But in the summers, I'm always unhappy because our, you know, we don't cool the AC down more to more than like 76. And I'm like, not as happy as I am in the winter. Yeah. But in the summer, we have like fans. We have a ceiling fan. We each have individual fans on both sides of the bed. So at least even if the room isn't as cool as I like it, the, the breeze is blowing. Or you can also get like chili pads. Yes. Uh, cool, cooling mats. Yeah. That's very helpful too. Just all cotton pajamas are very helpful. Yeah, my my husband would like that because he gets so annoyed when the house is that cold. <laughs> he's just like, he's just like Jesus. How are we living? Yeah. Like this oh, is ridiculous. It's so great, my body just loves. It. Oh, I do yeah. too. I I'm yeah. at sixty seven, and I feel yeah. very very comfortable with sixty seven. Now, yeah. do the hot flushes come on because of lowering estrogens? Do yeah. they initially? Is that how they kind of? Start up? Well, it's the roller coaster of estrogen that really brings on the hot flashes for sure, coupled with a decrease in progesterone. Because progesterone really keeps estrogen in check. It really does. So, yeah, it's all of the above. <laughs> it's a combination. So what what is your, your, okay, you and I are the same age. You look great, by the way. You do too. I'm going to say, like, you look awesome. Um, gorgeous. Um, I thought you were like 45 when I saw you. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah. no, I um, I actually, but you know, I do stuff. Lasers, lasers, my dear. It's all about. Yeah, <laughs> they right? really, really help. Yeah. So, what is your favorite <laughs> method of eating to optimize your wellness during this time? And so, always, right? And, and always. always. Yes. So I have three, what I call meno laws for fat loss. So the first is optimizing your protein intake to the tune of one gram per pound of your ideal body weight. So let's say you're 5'4", your ideal body weight's 120 pounds. I'm not doing kilos. Uh, then you're going to want to aim for 120 grams of protein. This is roughly... Uh, one pound, four ounces a day. And people think, how am I going to eat that much? It's usually four to six ounces at a meal, three times a day. And then if you can get snacks, some protein snacks in there during the day, let's say you intermittent fast, you want to, you know, shorten your eating window, then you need to eat, you know, around 50 to 55 grams of protein at those two meals to really, now, why am I saying this? Because number one, Blood sugar stabilization, yes. protein keeps your blood sugar level for four to six hours after you eat it. Number two is uh, to curb your appetite, to curb your hunger cravings. A lot of people find they can't eat enough protein in one day. And that is a very high class, fun problem to have, it's an abundance problem. Uh, but option, but but reason three is that you really want to support the growth of muscle. We lose a lot of yeah. muscle in menopause. Totally. And so without, if you think that you're going to ride your Peloton to, or just not picking on Peloton, but you know, if you think you're going to take a lot of spin classes and maybe lift some weights and in order to lose weight and you're not eating enough dietary protein, 
good luck building muscle. It's just impossible. Even on the high protein diet I'm describing, physiologically, women can put on at most about half a pound of muscle a month. So whereas men can put on one to two pounds a month. Which is why in my next life, I want to come back as a man. (laughs) Because I think that will be so cool. But in the meantime, you want to optimize your protein intake. Uh, Menno law number two is that you want your ratios of protein to be greater than your carbs. Yes. Right? And let's say you're 120 grams of protein. Aim for around 100 grams of carbs. If you're not sure what this, how to calculate that out, just log your food in any food app for three days. You're going to see if you're struggling to lose weight, chances are your carbs are much higher than your protein. Um, and, and look at your fiber intake. You know, sometimes people are getting a lot more carbs from vegetables, but, you know, so just look at your food log. For the most part, protein intake in grams should be higher than carbs. And my mental law number three is to eat your carbs at night because A, you're more insulin sensitive at night. I always say protein by day, uh, carbs by night. But B, if you're struggling with insomnia and your cortisol spiking at night, what tamps down cortisol is insulin. So having some moderate, um, you know, to low glycemic carbs can just give you enough of a bump in insulin to offset that cortisol. So sweet potatoes, legumes and beans, if you tolerate um, white potatoes, quinoa, winter squashes, you know, all of these are whole foods anyway, you're just going to get really well nourished. But those are my mental laws. And then certainly if you want to give intermittent fasting a try, you can either do it as intermittent fasting is just where you give your body a break from food for a while. So an overnight fast is easy for most people. You stop your dinner at 7 p.m. You don't have breakfast till after 7 a.m. Or you can do longer windows of fasting, shorter windows of eating, like 12 to 6, 10 to 6. That uh, absence of putting food into your system really enables you to torch body fat. So if none of those seem feasible to you, the other option you can do is the 5-2 method, which is just eating normal calories five days a week, and then two different days of the week, you only have about 500 calories. So you just have one 500-calorie meal a day for those two days, and you will drop weight quickly Mm -hmm. and effectively. You know, I feel, Esther, like a lot of times women use menopause or whatever as an excuse (laughs) and I'm one of them I have no thyroid I haven't had I had thyroid cancer in my early 40s thyroid out and perimenopause and then now going through menopause without one I found myself making that as an excuse and I'm like yeah I can't do it and that all goes to that whole limiting beliefs right and I'm like yeah that's kind of bs and I gotta own up to my own bs and so I, I, I actually went and uh, became a metabolic balance coach. So now, not only am I a nutritionist, but I'm like, oh, okay, I've always eaten very healthy, but hmm, maybe not the best for me right now. Maybe not the most balanced, right? So I love everything that you're saying because... You just got to figure out what works for you if you are gaining weight, right? Yeah, totally. You do. And it's, 
honestly, for most people, it's just reining in the carbs or just logging your food. I mean, it's the easiest form of cognitive behavioral therapy. We don't realize we forget to write down the snacks and the snacking. And once you even cut out the snacks, you can lose weight. Like it's really totally pretty straightforward. It's totally straight. Like, you know, and, and for me, because I cook so much, how often am I testing and trying the food? Oh, this tastes good. And oh, I'll just finish this off because somebody left this on the plate. You know, I come from a Eastern, <laughs> right? I come from an Eastern European background where, you know, you do not, and my parents were farmers. You do not waste food. You clean your plate. And all of these things are kind of stuck in my head that I have to reprogram myself. So we as women going through menopause, I feel it's really important just to kind of take note of these things and the excuses that we make, right? Yeah, or, you know, and and I notice in myself, Sandy, too, like some days, I mean, the fatigue is just really real. Like my adrenals are just a kind of a little all over the place right now. And I still force myself every day to move, to walk. I lift weights two to three times a week. And I always say to myself, half-assed is still better than no-assed. It doesn't have to be perfect every time. I'm not going to crush it. I'm going to have one or two workouts a week where I crush it. And the other time, it's just moving, managing stress, putting good food in my body, and being okay with that. But not doing it, not moving my body, sitting on my tush all day, not even an option. Just yeah. absolutely no. And even when I was like super sick with Lyme and mold and like would maybe get two hours of sleep at a stretch at most, I still force myself to walk an hour every day. So I was like, if I don't do that, my life is nothing right now. Like I just can't even live with myself. And often I would feel so much better after the walk. Yeah, because you get those endorphins and it's just like what you were saying about walking outside. And so I'm with you on the whole muscle thing. I've been working with a personal trainer for four and a half years and I work with her. She's 10 years older than me. She's 62 because she knows what my body at my age needs and what it can handle. Because you mentioned the Peloton and again, not to you know, slam Peloton, but some, some people can't handle that right now. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, listen, Peloton has, you don't always have to do the spin classes. The weight classes are good. There's Pilates, there's yoga, there's um, stretching. There's so many great, and on the apps, there's meditation. So I have a lot of clients that are really successful on it because they go from the 45 minute classes to a 20 minute class. And then the next 20 minutes they do weights. And so, you know, having support and structure in your workouts can be beneficial, but you, but it's the long duration cardio that really becomes problematic for women in menopause because either a, if their cortisol curves are really flat or really just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, very low adrenal output, it's going to exhaust you and keep just stressing out your system. And if your cortisol is too high, it can inter- it can keep your cortisol elevated and just really prevent you from burning fat and just help you store a lot of fat around your midsection. Yeah. So 
shorter duration, you know, quick bursts of sprints or some, you know, uh, uh, lifting weights faster, even like that's enough to get your heart rate totally, up, but have rest in between. Totally. I mean, my, oh, my oh. trainer loves the compound movements so that it does get your heart rate up, but yeah. you know, it's not like you said, you're not running on a treadmill for an hour, right? Exactly. That's right. It's just a time to mix things up and to like rethink as you did with your food, Sandy, when you're like, all right, that diet worked great for me in my earlier years, but right now this isn't what my body needs. Yeah. And a menopausal body just isn't handling insulin and carbs the same way. Unless you're like lifting really heavy and you're very, very lean, then you've earned your carbs. But you do have to have a healthy respect and relationship with carbs. And let's say, you know, you overdo it one day or you want to have a treat. You want to have a, a dessert or a glass of wine log your food and the next day, just make sure you've cut back on your carbs or fast a bit the next day, just skip breakfast the next day and you'll get right back in balance with your, you, you won't get derailed from your goals. So in terms of stress, stress is a big factor in all of this, which we were talking about. And there are a lot of things that women can take. So we talked about what they can do but there are some really great adaptogenic herbs yeah. and things like that that they can take to support their stress response, right? Like we can't take it away. We have families, we have jobs, careers, all that kind of stuff. Stress isn't going to go away. It's about how can we mitigate the effect of the stress on our bodies, right? So what are your favorites, Esther? Mm. Yeah. So often I'll give combination products that are a blend of ashwagandha, rhodiola, holy basil, schisandra. Um, those are really, really nice for nourishing and supporting the adrenals. They're adaptogenic tonics. If someone's cortisol is fizzling out by mid-afternoon, um, I also like to give a little licorice to sustain mm. the half-life of cortisol so you don't peter out the rest of the day. And if someone is just really burned out and cooked and their cortisol is just super low, sometimes I will give um, an adrenal concentrate to really actually rebuild the adrenals and give someone, you know, really restore their energy levels. And so, are you talking about like glandulars? Mm-hmm. So, yep. I've heard some things about glandulars. I don't know what your thoughts are that they can. Um, Downregulate your own production if you take them for too long. Is that true or not? Yeah. You know, I, I tend to be conservative and not give them long-term. Really, you shouldn't need to. If you give a good, a, a good glandular, three months should really turn things around. Six would be the absolute longest, but I rarely give them longer than that. Um, I do like the protomorphogen forms. Um, there's a standard process has the protomorphogens, which is really like the DNA of the glandular and that can be beneficial too. So yeah, I'm pretty conservative with them, but in extreme cases, when we need them, they work magic. Now here's a big question before, cause we're coming close to an hour. Do you feel like menopausal women are a little bit like the forgotten ones when it comes to the healthcare. It's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, there's just so much more support now than there was 
even when I was in, we were in our forties, it wasn't really there. So what are your thoughts on that? I think it's improving, but. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I wrote see you later, ovulator is because I felt women were so criminally underserved and gaslit in the process. And they're just, I mean, even medical studies just don't include women. Medical research studies are done on rats and men. And even when I wrote, uh, I wrote a paleo diet book for women called cave women don't get fat. And I looked at the studies on intermittent fasting and out of 73 done that I saw 13 were done on women. Why is this? Because women's bodies are much more complicated, right? I like, and, and forgive me, this is a bit simplistic for men, but you know, men, it's like a light switch on, on. <laughs> men certainly go through andropause and yes. have their own hormonal irregularities, but the mechanics are far simpler to address and treat versus women with a monthly cycle you know, the first, there's the first half of the cycle and there's the second half of the cycle and the two can differ wildly, wildly. It's like the control panel of an airplane. There's just so many more dials and switches to regulate. And so ironically, like postmenopausal women in many cases are the easiest to treat because there is no cycle. And so it is so much easier to get results on intermittent fasting it's easier to get results with hormone replenishment because your levels are, once you hit your baseline, that is where you stay. So you can control the exact amount you're putting in and that level will stay the same as long as you continue to take your hormones. So it's really just, I don't know if they're forgotten as much as just totally overlooked. I mean, it's just not even addressed. And so the beauty of this time when we are recording this, I think is magical because celebrities are coming out also with their own journeys. And Michelle Obama even was just in People Magazine talking about her journey through menopause. Once you get celebrities talking about it, that is a shift. Once you get women coming into their doctor's offices with the research studies in hand, that is also what shifts things. So that is why I have 20 pages of research studies in the back of my book on the benefits of bio and the safety of bioidentical hormones so that a woman can go in and say, "Uh, I've done the research. I think I could be a very good candidate. These are the tests that I want. And then if a doctor looks at you like you have 10 heads or says, I'm not going to do that or gaslights you, then you go find a doctor who will and will partner with you. And the, the myths that I really want to uncreate and destroy is that menopause is scary and awful and you're never going to get your life back. This is pretty much the most rocking time in your life. This is a time when you can own your power, you own your sexuality, you own your voice, you uh, get to be really good at self-advocating versus people-pleasing. You know, all these really powerful shifts take place. I, I think there is no greater wisdom. Like, I'm so grateful. I've always had older women in my life as my friends, because they lead the path and the way and kind of show me, yeah, like this is, you know, they're always like my favorite people to hang around. They're just so wise and powerful and really insightful about their lives. Yeah. I love everything you just said, because I'm always talking about vitality, right? And so 
this is why it's like reading books like yours. If you feel like, you know, you've lost that vitality and and life is just going downhill, it doesn't have to. And you can make these changes. You don't have to do it all at once because that can be daunting for a lot of people. But there's a lot of things that we can really take power over without anybody else and without money. You can just like what you were talking about, like just watching cutting cutting back on alcohol will save you all a lot of money hello there you go go get a manicure instead exactly exactly (laughs) so i love everything that you were saying now okay this we didn't talk about this question but what are your favorite favorite because everybody wants to know about supplements favorite let's let's say like maybe top five supplements for a menopausal woman Perfect. Yes. So uh, I'm going to revisit and say um, a B complex with methylated B vitamins. Very important. Uh, Glutathione, the liver's most important antioxidant. I love it in a liposomal liposomal form. This is the just much easier to absorb. Um, A cruciferous concentrate is really important with indole three carbonyl. Um, That's really really beneficial. And magnesium glycinate. Mm -hmm. Magnesium glycinate is a form of magnesium that is very easy to absorb and specifically addresses anxiety. So if you find you're getting these mental health changes in menopause, you've never had anxiety, or even if you do suffer with long-term anxiety, magnesium glycinate is my go-to. And then, of course, vitamin D, because that is superior for bone density, immune function. I mean, there's so many metabolic functions uh, and benefits with vitamin D. So those are my my basic foundations. I love it. And it's so funny you mentioned magnesium glycinate. I it for me it's almost like that's a no-brainer. I forget to mention it because it's just so habit for me that oh, you know, everybody should be taking magnesium glycinate and yes. It's just one of those supplements. It is magnesium glycinate and zinc too. I mean, zinc is also really important. I mean, they're just, they're not even in the soil anymore. So just make sure you take them. You know, I look at the prevalence of anxiety. You and I both have teenagers, you know, and, and there's so much anxiety right now in kids. And I, obviously the social piece and the social media piece cannot be discounted and yeah. the going through COVID, but also of course, the scientist in me, and I'm sure it's you too, wonders like, hey, I'm sure these kids are so nutrient deficient right now. Totally. Their brains are not getting what they need to get. Totally, Esther. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think about that too. And my daughter will often say, and her friends will laugh when they hear me say, did you take your supplements? Because, <laughs> you know, I, you know, my own opinion is that every youthful, every, every youth should take an omega-3, you know, somebody just for their brain, right? Like they don't, she doesn't eat well. And anyway, that's a whole other discussion, right? Oh yeah, same. (laughs) I mean, but, but we're getting there. It's, it's slow progress. And you know what? The work you did when they're younger, they're going to come back to that. They're going to come back to that. Yeah. You know what? I do believe that. I do believe that. They'll, they'll, the little voice in their head will reappear after, you know, the hormones stop raging, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and for anybody who's listening, if you're uh, a mom 
and you're going through menopause and you have a teenager like me, it's like we're both like she's like in the throes of puberty. I'm in the throes of menopause. So all the more reason to get your shit together, moms. (laughs) Because you got to deal with the teenagers too, right? Oh, yeah. I did a whole reel on like whoever invented moms to go through menopause the same time our teenagers are hitting puberty is nuts. I mean, I I remember joking when my son turned like 12, 13. I looked at my husband and I was like, you may want to just leave the house the next five years or so because... We're not all coming out alive. There's only going to be one of us standing at the end. And we were just laughing. I mean, my son, he, he's he's great. He's great. But but yeah, they're teenagers. And, you know, really, you know, it, it can be very challenging. Yes, absolutely. So, yes, but we love them. Yes. We love them. So tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can get your book, all yes. of that. So please go to estherblum.com forward slash menopause. There you will receive access to my book, um, my free happy hormone cocktail, and a VIB ticket to my virtual live event in February of 2023. And you can come hang with me uh, on Instagram at Gorgeous Esther. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love that. That's a great handle. Well, thank you so much, Esther. I appreciate your time. I appreciate our conversation. This was great. Thank you, Sandy. Same here, sister. Good, good. Keep up your good work because you're doing such important, great work. Thank you. You too. Join me next week where I cover off more exciting topics. I hope to continue to engage you and excite you and show you that living in your 40s, 50s, and beyond can be exciting, balanced, and helpful. Bye for now.